This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Yep, I can hear you. You can? Can you hear you? Can I hear me? I kind of can. I'll turn it up. We're back. It's that time. It's a sour hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. We're at the Brewing Network studios in lovely downtown Concord. Here with Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, what's up, brother? Good to and see you. And Bevo. Hi. Hi. Justin's in here, too. Hey, Justin. Hi there. Hey, guys. Hey. I'm here for a minute. Man, I thought you were staying the whole show. <laughs> Why would I do that? All two shows. <laughs> Why in the world would I you have ever? Nothing to do for the next three hours of your life, do you? Exactly. <laughs> this beer report is good, though, so it's a good start. Yeah, it is. That's good. Yeah, this is good stuff. It's not yet from our guest in studio today. Whoa, Trevor Rogers Just, of Degard oh, Brewing. I thought it was Justin. Yeah. Well, Justin is world-renowned brewer for sure. <laughs> okay. That's the one thing he doesn't do. When was the last time you brewed a beer? That's a great question. Homebrew? Whatever. Start a match paddle or pro brewery to something. I participated in a pro brew last summer mm-hmm. out in Montana. Wow. Yeah, I helped Phillipsburg Brewing Company. I was Humble his, brag. Who I asked you? His, uh, <laughs> I was his uh, brewery bitch for the day. Nice. Oh, nice. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Homebrew, gosh, it's probably been four years. Oh, man. Yeah. It's great that you're, you know, hosting a homebrewing network. <laughs> Actually, for you, I thought it's a little light. I thought he was going to be like, when did I move out of the Rat Pad? I'm probably lying. It's probably yeah. been longer than that. Yeah. I thought it was longer than that. Yeah. 17 years ago today, Justin yeah. brewed his last homebrew yeah. batch. <laughs> well, those of us who still brew on the brewing network are talking now, so... Not really, even. No, I don't do that anymore, either. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your lackeys on Slack. Pretty much. I don't like Slack. I think it's like a net negative overall, to be honest. A lot of wasted time. A lot of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking for a Slack replacement, though. Bevo is nodding feverishly. Bevo knows. (laughs) That's what's up. Yeah, so we have a great show tonight. And don't call us. There are no calls. There's no phones. Nope. Yeah. It's 2019. we're, We're cutting back here. Justin's got to be on every show now for the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I can call myself. Yeah. I'll, I'll field them for you. You can Skype, though. Brewing Network. All Brewing one network. word. Let me open it. On Skype. Uh, join us in the chat. That's still a thing, I think. Email is still a thing, not Slack. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Watch us live. Bevo spent a lot of time positioning the camera, which I think is on. I did, lot. and you look very handsome. Actually, you need to trim my beard, but thank you. No comment. That's a yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you look great. This is yeah. This you is look, 
Great. No, Question mark? The beard's awesome. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. Scott, edit those awkward pauses out. <laughs> I will. I will. It, it'll all end at Bebo saying you look great, and then we'll just yeah. move right on. You can listen live on the Brewing Network app, which if you don't have it, you suck. Search BN Mobile in the search bar of whatever the thing is. Subscribe and leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast, which brings us to Review of the Week. (laughs) (laughs) This review is from I Brimley, Getting Goofy and Sour, it's titled. He says, The Brewing Network has been a magnificent find for me as a craft brew lover and a new home brewer. The Sour Hour is like the low-key cool guy in the room. It'll show you a good time. <laughs> Song suggestion, uh, Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Karn. I, I, think I, I know hate that song. that song. It's a contemporary I'm, song. I'm really disappointed that, you know, of the 99% of reviews we have that trash the session, this one didn't. This one did while not. While Justin's sitting right here. No, but you know what's <laughs> funny, though? It is signed by, he signs it, and his name is Justin. I know it's not this Justin, because he says he's a new home brewer, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. What is this? Uh, they're requesting songs? Yeah, for rejoiners. Better day this eyes. Honestly, yeah. this song this is, is such a piece of crap. We'll cut this out well, So far, the music Let's video looks awesome. I like this song. Why? Well, listen to it. Sounds good. Is this a, re- this is a rejoin? Really? Does it sound like a rejoin? Well, oh, I know this song well. Yeah, it sounds this song is I mean, maybe it goes along with Jay's dad jokes. Maybe that's why he thought it was a rejoiner. <laughs> All right. Uh, a great song. Terrific song. I don't know if it's a rejoin, though. But thank you. I liked it. Thank you for the review, Ibrimley. We appreciate it very much. Welcome to the homebrew world, brother. Yes, and thanks for doing it for the last time ever. Yeah, yeah. It's been a good run. <laughs> Yep. No, yeah. First time and last time. Yeah, that's right. Ever, for All sure. Right. Great times. Uh, let's see. Last show, we had the whole crew from Ruben's Brews and our 100th episode. Did you know that, Justin? I did. I didn't know till that day. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Neither, neither Congratulations. Did. Thank you. Good times. We made it. We're really, it really is a big feat. That's a lot of shows. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Now I know why you look the way you do. Yeah. Feeling, <laughs> feeling your age. <laughs> We should do like yeah the side by side you know like you know uh, President, President Obama, Obama was yeah. very gray and mm-hmm. uh, you know we could do the side by side the 2005 Justin contemporary yeah. Justin you said with my beard you know you and I would get right <laughs> you and I would get right in there we we got some gray going on you, do you that, yeah yeah I got some silver yeah. in there yeah that was not there mm-hmm. a few years ago it happens fast it does it's hard out here for a podcast mm-hmm. that's what I always say mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep. Yep. I plucked out two gray hairs today. Whoa. My first two ever. I can't hear her. They're growing back even stronger. And he it? doesn't have headphones because I didn't give him any because I didn't think he'd be here. Oh, Shivo uh, is plucking out her hairs? She had two oh. she, two gray hairs, she said. Oh, your mm-hmm. first ones, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. It's tragic. First, yeah. wow. Yeah, they're That's my first. Good. You're a silver fox if you're a guy with gray hair. Is that a gender-specific term? Yeah. Is there What's for a, a woman? Old bitch. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work the same. How oh, no. dare you call Hen- Helen Mirren in that? <laughs> oh, she is an attractive woman. Was she an old bitch? Jamil said to me once years ago, he's like, it doesn't really bother you until you get them down there. Oh, brother. And he's yeah. like, the day you start getting them down there, you feel your mortality. <laughs> oh, wow. And <laughs> I was like, that kind of makes sense, actually. That would bother me. Yeah. Yeah, it's all gravy we'll until it's down there. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, Jamil. He's just a nonstop insight machine. He's a guy. wise man. Yeah, he is. He has the gray pubes to prove it. Yeah. I have no transition for my next topic. <laughs> Can't do that. Uh, yeah, oh, also, um, Oregon Fruit was in studio as well. Chris from Oregon Fruit. Did, right. did you That's say right. that? Chris? I did not say that. There you go. So Ruben's Ruben's in Oregon Fruit. That was a great show. That and was great. a great poker game afterwards. Yeah, that was fun. What a night. Yep. Great times. Thanks for hosting again, Scott. That was it. A lot of fun. Anytime. I had to. I remember having to buy back many times. Yeah, but you you made it all back at the end. I think you ended up like down only a few dots. It was a big get out. We call it a get out in the poker. I might world. owe you some money. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one uh, you know semi serious thing I want to talk about at the top was uh, just Tasty. You know, heard the news that Tasty has posted on Facebook. He's having some health issues. He's got a lot of people call the Big C. Yeah. Yeah, you can say it. He, he he made it public. So, but yeah, Tasty got diagnosed with cancer uh, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We don't know much still. They're hoping to kind of hear a long term prognosis uh, this week. But yeah. they they did an emergency surgery, which went very very well. No, that's good news. But there were some remaining issues that they needed to discuss. And, yeah. Uh, so I haven't I haven't heard about that yet. Yeah, we just got to hope for the best. You know. Yeah. It's. Uh, Part of getting older for everyone, you know, we're we're talking about health problems off the air, and it's it's tough. It's really tough, especially for someone who I think has meant not just a lot. Number one, I'll say to me, mm-hmm. but I'm sure to you guys, to the brewing network, to the home brewing community, the brewing community, and um, yeah, you know, uh, Trevor, our guest, who's not you know from the area, I was kind of filling him in on that and saying just how influential Tasty has been. And just kind of, I don't think it's an understatement to say, beloved worldwide. Yeah. I mean, he goes around the world to these homebrew conferences, and he's kind of just the biggest celebrity in the room. Yeah, he's he's made a, an enormous impact on homebrewers and, and craft brewers' lives, for sure. So we just, yeah, keep him in your hearts. As I know things that, that they're willing to share, I will, I will do so. You know, it's kind of letting the family do their thing right now, but... I'm in the loop, so as soon as I hear something and whatever I'm allowed to, to share, I will. But just keep them in your in your hearts for now. Yeah, and I went back through my my photos of tasting myself and posted it on his wall. And if if you have you know if you're lucky enough to follow Tasty on any of the social medias, you know I'm sure uh, an encouraging word and showing him your love. You know it can't, it can't hurt out there. So that's right. Absolutely, Tasty, you're in our prayers. And with that. Should we talk about this beer that we have in front of us? Yeah, let's. I want to say again, a, there's no transition. A, a couple other quick things. I mean, there's a, a little bit, which is that you know, Tasty's uh, presence was felt mightily over the weekend at the 10th annual Spring Brews Festival That's right. that just went on, and his uh, his tasting room, you know, his absence was felt, but you know, there there he was virtually, you know, via his uh, his homebrew influence and mm-hmm. was it twenty something taps at Tasty's tasting room? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a nice cheers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Justin, you, your uh, your speech from the stage was was nice. It was, it was great. Nice. What a stupid word. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was it was great. It was heartfelt. Heartfelt. Thank you, Beef. That's much better. the The tenth annual fest it was great. The clouds parted, yeah. and uh, Tasty waved his magic wand over the yeah. sky and brought perfect weather. Whoa! In yeah. between rain, it rained the day before and the day. I don't know what forty hours later mm-hmm. after the fest, but for some reason it was like seventy three and not a cloud in the sky. Yeah, it was That's nice. Cool. Yeah, I and got uh, with Tasty's Tasting Room, by the <laughs> way, which we which we've always had there. Shout out to Doe's Homebrew Club, yeah, and particularly uh, Vito. 
uh, who I think is their president, because they carried the torch and put together Tasty's Tasting Room and got, like you said, 20-something homebrews out there. And it was just, I think, obviously a little more important than ever to have that presence at the fest this year. So I know they were all happy to do it and proud to do it, but a, a big, big, big thanks to them for putting all that together. Absolutely. And everyone coming out to the fest. Oh, yeah, and all the breweries. And, you know, Alex, uh, tall Alex was there with uh, his, his mom and dad. Yeah, his parents were there. That yep, was nice. Yeah, the Wallaches so, and some uh, incredible rare barrel beers. Always, you know, there was, man, there was not a ton of sour beer out there. You guys were amongst mm. the only, there There were not many, mm. less than in years past. I, it just, you know, breweries, you know, didn't bring those. They're giving up. <laughs> yeah. They're yeah. laying totally. down their arms. I can't even, we can't compete. <laughs> can't compete. Um, but it was, it was great, yeah. Um, so, yeah, to everybody who came out. And to all the brewers and to everybody, thank you very much. We had a great time. Sorry, I missed it. Yeah, yeah, you were doing your own thing. You, you sent me some selfies from your wherever you were. It wasn't like in Yosemite. the park. Yeah, yeah, Yosemite. Yeah, I was in a park. Oh yeah, that's true. A bigger that's true. park. Less One of the most famous though. parks, you know, out <laughs> yeah, there. Totally. <laughs> Things still there? Yeah, no breweries. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh, let's get to a break. But before we do and bring mm. on our guests, let's talk about uh, this is Wild Edge, right? It is. Yeah, Tucker Robinson over there at Wild Edge. That's in Cortez, Colorado. Tucker very generously sent us an awesome care package full of all sorts of different sour beer. Man, if there wasn't much sour beer in the park, there was some. But uh, you know, I'm just I'm looking for sour beer at every booth I'm at. Well, Tucker made up for it by sending out a oh, lot yeah. of awesome sour beer. We got in our glasses currently Bloom and Bramble. A golden uh, sour with hibiscus petals and Montezuma County raspberries, aged 15 months in French oak, you know, mixed culture fermentation. This is at 4.7, which Jay and I were very happy about. A nice brewer's ABV. Yeah. And uh, this beer is tasting fantastic. If this is any indication, hopefully the rest of the package is uh, just as good as this beer. Oh, yeah. And very, very generous. Uh, Scott and I, especially Scott, are always happy to take the beer off of your guys' hands. So. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so there's always room in my fridge, <laughs> as you guys well know. At you this might point. need a fourth refrigerator at this point. I know. Yeah, three is three is. <laughs> I'm getting a little tight on space. It's so true. All right, uh, get to a break. What do you think? Um, yep, and then we got a lot of Trevor beer, right? Mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like pub discounts that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and eZymergy. For tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love. And access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join right now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
bad. Actually, Make point right. first. Nah. Okay, uh, let's try it again. I can't. I can't point first. It has to be on. No, no, no. It's I, it was the the music timing actually. Not oh, the point. I screwed the music timing up. Yeah, I'll like, fix it. In here post. we go. All right. Back on the side. I'll, I'll clean it up. Don't worry. It'll it'll sound perfect. Bevo knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> what was wrong? Who's wrong, Scott? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I want to thank our great sponsor, WineAndHop.com. Scott. Locally owned and operated for over 40 years. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours. BN, that stands for Brewing Network. Listeners get $8 flat shipping rates on orders under 25 pounds. Enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. Discounts will be taken off after checkout. And Madison, Wisconsin residents, get this. Order your homebrew supplies online at wineandhop.com and pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company. Located on Wilson Street, right across from Central Park, will waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer at Working Draft Beer Company. Check them out. Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. Let's welcome our guest into the studio. We have the man, the myth, the man. Just the man. Trevor Rogers from DeGard Brewing. What's up, dude? Welcome back to the show. Yeah, I'm really excited to be back here again. Uh, thank you for having me. It's and been a long time. For sure. Three and a half years, I think, somewhere thereabouts. But mostly, it's really nice to be here in person this time. Happy to have you, and happy to have your beer also to talk about in person. Bevo, is this camera okay? I feel like I need to go over here now to see Trevor. The camera's fine. Yeah? Okay. Just for the... It's almost like he should be sitting right there. (laughs) (laughs) The cameras are my territory. Okay. Yep. And the chairs. Shut up. And the humans. Okay. Sorry. Her eyes are saying more than her words right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say for the uh, record, it was episode 20 and 21 of the show back in uh, 28 October 2015. Really? I could have sworn it was like seven. We had done over a year uh, of the really? show already before before Trevor was That's on. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, but it has been uh, what you I can't uh, remember almost anything. four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So his beers were good. You remember that? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Really well, good. you do remember something. Really good. And we've got some here with us tonight, as long uh, as well as Trevor. Uh, so, Trevor, what's maybe? Let's just start here. The biggest difference between where your brewery was at that point, where your beer was at that point, and where you think those things are right now. That's a great question, and I think it's something that we talked a lot about in the prior um, session sessions. I guess. Sour hours. Yeah. We call them sour shows. hours. We don't like to say <laughs> sessions, but hours. Um, no, we we uh, were in the early stages of transitioning away from some of our quicker turnaround spontaneous beers, um, such as Buvisa, some of our Goza series, and such, towards where our passion truly lay uh, in doing multi-year spontaneous blends. So still the same idea behind it, utilizing our native yeast and bacteria, barrel fermentation and maturation, etc. But we went from where our average beer was being packaged somewhere a little north of one year to where we're currently at now at approximately two years old. Um, Some of that's different recipes, different uh, targets, but uh, the end goal was to make the beer that we had wanted to from the beginning but had to have beer that was 
that matured quicker for cash flow purposes. Mm-hmm. So right now we're targeting beer that is meant to be very funky, very, very locally unique in its Britannomyces expression and um, character uh, versus before. Oftentimes we had to make beer that was, well, good, not, I think, as complex or unique to our area. Um, you know, I'd take our Buvice series, which was acidic and oftentimes had a notable fruit character, but that's beer that can be made, I think, a almost anywhere through numerous different processes, something that expressed a similar character to that. Uh, so we're really happy with where we're at right now, while we still have beer that might be very fruit-forward in its character. Uh, usually that is balanced with a much greater depth of Britannomyces funk. And our favorite beers, I think, are the ones that are very, very Britannomyces-driven and complex, elegant or nuanced almost. And, and that really is the goal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things to make... It makes your brewery so unique amongst, you know, this massive, massive amount of new sour beer breweries in the United States and actually really all all over the world. I think something that makes your brewery unique that I really haven't heard other people doing is how much of your focus is on spontaneous and your specific spontaneous process, even early to now. Why, Why is spontaneous so important to you in making sour beer? There are a lot of great ways to make great beer, right? Um, There are a lot of great breweries making beer in those ways. What we carried over, my wife and I, uh, Lindsay, love you. (laughs) He just looked at the sky when he said that and put his hand over 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 his heart. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You did like. She's not in heaven. Yeah, that's what I was like. Oh my God, no. Yeah. Um, We came from a wine uh, appreciation industry background uh, before we ever, I think. Each of us became passionate about beer, craft beer, well-made beer. Um, and our favorite wines are indicative of a place and a time and a year, a season, etc. We wanted to carry that over to to beer. My friend Carl introduced me to, I think, my first spontaneous beers or you know acidic beers, mixed fermentation beers and such. And there's a, a fair bit of crossover between the two, right? Um, traditional wine and acidic beers. So we went in with a passion, I think, for a representation of location, um, something unique to where the beer was being made versus something that could, in theory at least, be made almost anywhere. Certainly brew house and processes, uh, equipment play into that. But in theory, most other processes or equipment can be moved. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wanted something that that spoke to a place and a time. And speaking of places... Your, your brewery is in Tillamook, Oregon. What do you think that specific region, is it important to be specifically there versus in, you know, Portland or, you know, a little more south in Chico? Like, what, why Tillamook? Have you been to Tillamook? I have never been, but I'm going mean, to go. Somewhere. We need to get you out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there are differences in location. Even within, I think, uh, similar temperatures, similar climates, you can have quite notable differences in fermentation character from the yeast and bacteria, even moving you know, uh, as little as a handful of miles up or down the coast, given our area. Um, in fact, we were quite scared when we moved from our first brewing facility to our second one, and less so when we moved to our third, which is right by our first that there would be a notable difference. Um, we targeted where we were at because we liked the fermentation character we got uh, after long-term spontaneous fermentation and aging from that area. 
Uh, so I, I do think it's specific to to the region. The same way, you know, wine grapes I think are getting a lot of their characteristics from the soil as well as the climate. Of course, um, we get the notable character of our beer, or I should say, the, the notable character of our beer. I think is largely determined by the the air and what it brings to our cool ships, the the native yeast and bacteria. Gotcha. So you do, you know, it is. I would guess, or I would say. True spontaneous, you have cool ships, there's no inoculation, just to kind of either refresh people's memory if they don't remember episodes 21 and 22, or if they are, what I would do is listen backwards from what we're doing now to what we were doing then, just so we seem more nervous at the end than when we are now. (laughs) Where does your process kind of, what am I trying to say? Diverge. Diverge. Thank you from what people think of as like the more traditional lambic and goose process kind of just put put what you do in context for people who maybe don't know as much about what how how you go from you know your your brew house to barrel to package yeah um, first there's a there's a lot of differentiation amongst uh, true lambic brewers and blenders i think in in processes and equipment for that matter but if you think of what we traditionally or, or stereotypically think of as a uh, lambic brewing or process, we're probably pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. And we certainly owe the largest debt to them for carrying on those traditions uh, in the face of not having a hell of a lot of a market for, for quite some time. But as far as the steps of the brewing process, uh, we brew wort. Our most produced item is some, a grist composed of 58% pale malted barley uh, grown in our region, and then 42% uh, unmalted wheat, again, grown in our region. Uh, in the kettle, uh, we utilize organ-grown Cascade and Willamette hops that we age typically for four years, uh, although we have used as young as three and as old as eight. And we'll boil that for, on average, about three hours before we run it into our cool ship, which just in case there is any confusion about what a cool ship is, it's basically, a, as my mom calls it, I think, a big cake pan. <laughs> it's an old piece of equipment that was very efficient at cooling wort down uh, in the era before you know glycol or, or, or any assisted chilling mechanisms existed. So it cools it overnight, but by virtue of having a large exposed surface of cooled wort, you also are inoculating it with native yeast and bacteria from the air itself. So we'll overnight the beer in there after cooling it, sees that yeast and bacteria, and then it gets run into oak the next day. And we usually see about, sorry, I'm mapping this in my head right now. I should probably have this offhand. No, that's uh, fine. But we'll usually run in about 4 p.m. Uh, into the cool ship. And then depending on the ambient temperature and how quick the cooling rate is, we'll be running out anywhere from usually 9 or 10 a.m. up until about noon uh, into wood vessels Uh, our smallest vessels right now are typically a a 450 to 500 liter oak barrels although we do have a large amount of 1000 liter and 2000 liter and then a very small amount of larger than that Mm -hmm. before we do the uh what happens in wood can i ask a quick question about the aged uh, hops you said there's a big range there right three years to as as old as eight years you mentioned yeah is that availability? Do you pick based on like older hops go in this? How do you choose what to use what for what? 
concisely, we're looking for both the degradation of the acids, uh, alpha and beta, in the hops themselves, but also looking for the characteristics of the hops. Uh, you can have something that's uh, alpha and beta diminished that still has a lot of varietal character to it, and that's not something we're looking for because even after a three-hour boil, some of that can carry over. So I want to say that the vast majority of our hops at probably two years to three years have reached a plateau where they're ready to use. But pretty much universally, all the leaf hops are ready at four years. So we typically target that. Um, we have in the past bought some hops in the spot market that have been cold age. So they might be two years old already, but are not nearly close because they've been you know packed in mylar or something and in a cold storage um, and then aged them off further. We're currently contracted with Crosby Hop Farms in Oregon for all of our hop needs and are aging them ourselves. Which is was a painful transition because we're used to buying you know buck or two uh, per pound um, aged spot hops that we still had to age further, but now we're contracted at about nine fifty a pound. <laughs> um, but as the wild beer market has grown, the availability of old, uh, not aged, but old mm-hmm. uh, leaf hops has really uh, contracted, and um, there are a lot of breweries buying them in and utilizing those. So we had to. You know, not find ourselves in a position where this year no spot hops are available and four years from now not having the supply. Uh, so we kind of had to make the jump to spend the extra money so that four years from now we can still produce wort. Sure. Is there a point at which it stops, you know, de- degrading? De- I don't know what the word is, but is there a huge difference between a four-year-old hop and an eight-year-old hop? Not particularly in my experience. Certainly some of that's probably going to be location-dependent. Uh, the same way I think that the alpha and beta acids, talking to other spontaneous brewers, have very quite notably given the environment that they're aging them in. Um, I've heard a lot lower than ours, and, and or sorry, a little bit lower than ours and a lot higher than ours. Uh, I think the character may modify if you're aging in an environment that has character to you know, leach into them. I haven't seen it in ours. Uh, basically, they end up smelling kind of like dry, clean soil or really old, clean hay. And kind of stay that way got it uh then the one last very important question can we get a beer pour? yeah yeah baby yeah, let's do that and then yeah and then onto wood once you... you're telling me what to ask <laughs> no i'm not because i have another question about hops oh, while perfect. trevor is oh, digging good. stuff out so you know we talked about the age of the hops how you guys are sourcing them how you're aging them one thing that interested me is that you use two different varietals the Willamette and the cascades from Oregon, and I believe, uh, you know, if you listen to other BN shows like Brew Strong, Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, Heads and Tails, Shine Runner, and Trace Cervezas, and the session or the show that I was just on, I cheated on you, Scott, Hop and Brew School. Feels bad, man. Yeah. <laughs> I never know when B was going to laugh at. Sometimes I say things I think are great, and she's like, just dead fish. And that then was that, pretty funny. Other times, like a throwaway line. And I feel like that got picked up on our mics. Get a good like, guffaw. Yeah, it did. That was a good I laugh. That was a, that was a good one. Um, I bad. <laughs> My lips were real bad. So I, I think, you know, Vinny brought up using you know, very traditional, like, German noble hops. And I think he might have intentionally, not intentionally, but specifically called out like a, a Cascade Centennial type hop as one that he, he didn't want to use. So, and I think, you know, reasonable minds can absolutely have different ways to go about it, especially since you're, you know, using so many uh, local ingredients. I think that's, they're very plentiful. This long-winded setup 
serve two parts one to get beer in our glasses but two not not necessarily why <laughs> what, what is the difference that you see in using those two and what do you apply them in the same ways or do they serve different purposes we use them the same way uh, they do certainly have some difference in alpha and beta acids and I think that is the biggest driver of different characteristics and different spontaneous beer, uh, of ours at least. But I think you can make great spontaneously fermented beer with a broad array of different aged hops. Uh, Certainly the biggest purchasers of um, Old Spot Leaf, from my understanding, are Belgian buyers. People bring in big blocks of them. So I think there's a way to utilize any different variety. I think your biggest challenge is going to be the higher beta acids, which may mm-hmm. be what Vinny is speaking to there with something like Centennial. Um, having used some old bales of Centennial before, uh, oxidized beta acids are still really potent bittering agents. Um, we certainly had a number of batches that, even after three years of age, were notably astringent um, and, and lacked any... Acidity is not a goal, but they lacked any amount of balancing uh, acid component. So... You know, we, we settled on Cascade and Willamette because, one, they are the biggest grown hops in Oregon, I think still. But at the time, I believe they were. Um, they're just something that's very true to where we're working. Beyond that, though, we wouldn't use them if they were terrible. Uh, it's just the hops that made the beer that I was the happiest with. Mm-hmm. And strictly that, like I thought they made the best beer for us. Yeah, and speaking of best beer, Scott... This is one of my favorite beers of all time. I've had it a few times. Wonderful. Broken Truck from DeGuard. And this is, what What year is this from now? Bottled 118. So a little more than a year old in bottles, but a blend of four years of oak-aged spontaneous beer. It, is it, it's a one, two, three, and four-year-old beer? Correct. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Which I think actually the last one you had would have been the second blend that we did of this. Um, which at that point, I'm not sure if we had transitioned to from a three-year to a four-year blend for this particular beer. We we like the older average age, as I mentioned to you earlier, and we've now moved this one to a four-year blend hmm. um, to encourage that. Nice. And what, so you seem like you're getting a lot of flavor reward out of incorporating four-year beer, but we don't hear a lot of people talking about four-year beer. And I think about people listening, maybe they've had this beer and they'll think, oh, the key is just age the beer four years, and it'll be as good as a broken truck. That makes me nervous because a lot of beers that get aged longer have uh, more time and exposure to develop off flavors. So how do you balance the negatives and the positives of incorporating a fourth year to your blended sour beer? I mean, that's tough. I think you have to take it on a barrel-by-barrel basis. Um, You're exactly right. The longer you age something in wood, the more possibility that you're going to have off-character develop, uh, usually related to oxygen exposure, right? Certainly, we've dumped our share of barrels that we thought one year were progressing nicely, and the next year, you know, it might be year two to to year three or year three to year four. All of a sudden, no, now now it's something we have to dump out. And that's painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do gamble to some extent on a small percentage of our um, wood to try and have some small percentage of that extra age component to blend in for further complexity. I think that the fourth year addition isn't necessary, perhaps, to make a very good beer of the same average age. Um, again, this one's, I think, 20, 
seven twenty eight months uh, average age of all the components combined. You could do that, obviously, using something that didn't have a four year component, and it'd be safer. You wouldn't be gambling on that that fourth year. I think that a small inclusion of extra aged beer can add further depth to it, though, and we're willing to end up losing a little bit in favor of trying to make something that's a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's that's the way to go. You said a small percentage. Just to put that in, into context for myself and the listeners, what what do you consider a small percentage? What are you willing to let go when it's a three-year beer and you're like, you know what, I think this can make it another year? What are you willing to, from your stock, by on a percentage basis, willing to commit to that project? Right now, in our brewery, we're carrying, you'll have to pardon me while I'm thinking on this, uh, I, I believe about 12 to 14 500-liter punchins mm-hmm. um, that are north of three years old. Uh, we'll be carrying most of those over, uh, or at least a... a, a yeah, the majority of them will be carried over into a fourth and or fifth year. Gotcha. So that's maybe like 100 to 120 BBL, somewhere around that? Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, we don't expect all that to be good beer in the end. But again, you know, we're in this because we want to make the best damn beer we can. Mm-hmm. And if that means that we lose a little bit in the process, then so be it. So now also I'm going to interrupt. What, what's the little bit? What have you seen? You know, so you say you're going to commit... 100 BBL, what do you kind of expect to lose? What have you lost over time from that three to four year period? I'll be honest and say, I don't think we can exactly track that. Mm-hmm. You know, we about a year and a half ago finished the move into our new brewery, uh, the new facility. And I'm, I'm sorry if I missed you say, did you keep the other ones or you just moved to the new one? No, we just moved to the new okay, one. Okay, got it. Yeah, we it, and not even for an increase in capacity. Our, our goal was to purchase a space, renovate a historic one to be able to, in the pursuit of better beer, not more of it. Um, we'll see a nominal increase in total capacity, which we're about to hit as far as you know, beer and oak, but our total output won't drastically increase. So that move kind of makes it a bit more difficult. Like where we dumped a whole lot of beer before we finished that move over, um, tracking some of the ones that hadn't matured well. So at that point, that might be 50%. Um, this coming year, I would anticipate that might be more like 25 to 35 percent. It's a lot. Yeah, but you have to kind of you know figure out over time what that percentage will be. The same way that the amount that we dump uh, on average from barrels has fluctuated quite a lot since we've opened, uh, I think this will as well. And, and a lot of that's just process technique and, and you know how we mature the wood itself. Absolutely. Yeah, but I think that's important to put those numbers out there because... If you want to go for a four-year project, you know you should know getting into it. And that, that was just the third year to the fourth year. That's not the first year to the second year, or zero to one, one to two, two to three. No, it's in addition to normal losses associated yeah. with barrel aging and, and wild or spontaneous beer. This is like a compounding loss going on in this process. No, that's a great way to put it, actually. Thank uh, you. Each year you Thank push- you for the actually in there, too. Actually. That's what my staff does. All the time. <laughs> that was actually a good thought, Jay. <laughs> Hey, this no. beer's actually pretty good, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a little cold right now. I, I haven't even had a sip yet. It is. That's mostly my fault for you know hopping off an airplane a couple hours ago, and no, no. Jay thoughtfully brought some ice to throw them into. That's awesome. Well, and Jay yeah, and we'll I... pull them out of there in the break. We, we said before, too, how much we love cold, effervescent beer, even though it's supposed to be like, you know, cellar temp. I just love cold, fizzy beer. I mean, it's, it tastes great. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. I'm, I'm just doing my first class now. 
No, totally. <laughs> it, you know, there's something to be said for a very cold, refreshing beer, mm-hmm. right? And there's a reason we run our taproom coolers much lower than my ideal serving temperature would be for our beer, because you can always warm it up, right? Right. And like, eh, this will be better if it's a little warmer, get more you know complexity out of it. But you can't really cool it down efficiently once it, or efficiently once it's in the glass. Exactly. That's why you need to you know have layers on your blankets in bed. That's right. Yeah. It's much easier to warm yourself up than to cool yourself down. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. Bevo. No. <laughs> No. I can't has, tell if that's like a disgusting head shake. like wrapped in heating pads or something in bed. <laughs> she has earmuffs on. I can see them. You know, do you run cold, Pete? Generally, do you run cold? Yes. So she's wrapped in heating pads. Yeah. yeah. Better better that than running hot. But as someone who runs hot, I, I would much rather be cold. Cause, yeah, because you would have the heating pads. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think more realistically, I'd rather be at the same temperature as my wife because there's always like a, <laughs> a back and forth. Yeah. Right. How fun would it be to, like, you know, snuggle under the blanket, but it's too hot. Or cuddle. Or cuddle. Either one's Either one is good. It's just too hot. There's certainly a difference between the two. Yeah, we discussed that earlier today. Off-air conversation, yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we get to our first break, Scott? It's our second break, but yes. Second break. Nailed it. Uh, Before we do that, can we tease a question, maybe? What do you think about that? Oh, sure. This question and all questions on the show are brought to you by Dr. Lambic and his team at SourBeerBlog.com. Check out the articles on Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And now, Sour Beer Blog crew is opening up a new brewery. Not so new anymore, but they're they're rocking it. And a taproom in central Pennsylvania. Check them out. Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. This is from Dexter. Dexter says, hey, y'all, blah, blah, blah. You guys are the bee's knees. <laughs> nice. Uh, he says, uh, he's got a question about oxygen with PDO. So we'll do a uh, oxygen and PDO question. Okay, I will probably not remember that. We'll take a quick break and find out. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Brewing Great Beer is a process of continuous learning, and the best books on every aspect of brewing can be found at Brewers Publications, with more than 50 awesome titles like Modern Homebrew Recipes by Gordon Strong, Designing Great Beers, The Ultimate Guide to Brewing Classic Beer Styles by Ray Daniels, American Sour Beers, Innovative Techniques for Mixed Fermentations by Michael Tonsmeyer, For the Love of Hops, The Practical Guide to Aroma, Bitterness, and the Culture of Hops by Stan Hieronymus and Radical Brewing Recipes, Tales, and World Altering Meditations in a Glass by Randy Mosher, plus many, many more. These are the books and the authors with the knowledge to push your brewing farther than you thought possible. And you'll find them all at fine homebrew and book retailers everywhere. And visit the website at BrewersPublications.com. Brewers Publications, all the best on beer and brewing. better yeah that's good that meets your approval mm-hmm. good. we're back it's sour hour here with trevor from Degard, having some great beers want to thank some more sponsors speaking of oregon oregon fruit products aseptic purees that are easy to use convenient to store with no additives nor artificial flavors it's simply a great expression of the raw fruit they love working with brewers help us innovate check them out fruitforbrewing.com oregon fruit they bring fruit 
to life. To life. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at iDip. Speaking of paying for stuff, you guys should buy this. It's a homework commercial use water testing kit. I've missed this. Which incorporates a revolutionary photometer, which is the first and only on the market with its own app. iDip can perform over 40 different water quality tests for things like chloride, calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more. Podcast listeners should enter the code TPN10 at checkout. Save $10. On either the standard or advanced <laughs> smart brew testing kit, order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit them. Shout them out. Say you heard of them on the Sour Hour, whether they bought it or not. Visit them. <laughs> www.smartbrewkit.com I like songs that give you instructions for how to dance to yeah. it. Put your hand on the hip and then dip. Yeah. We did inform everybody that that is going to be the rest of the hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've done the math by this point. Okay. <laughs> All right. We have a new beer open. Similar vein, but tell us what the difference is between Broken Truck and the Ivy or Ivy? Uh, just Ivy. Ivy. Yeah. It's one that I think myself and our brewing team are particularly excited about right now. We have been working on getting this one right for for a number of years now, Mm -hmm. Um, but the basics of it, it's a straight two-year-old spontaneous beer um, from a a grist of 100% uh, Northwest grown and malted pale barley with uh, four-year-old aged Cascade and Willamette hops uh, with a little bit of fresh hop as well uh, in the kettle. We were looking for... Sorry, I'll give credit where it's due. Uh, our biggest inspiration for this was uh, Cantillon Iris. Uh, mm. Fantastic beer, one of my favorites from them, and one that I think that actually matures pretty well. Um, I'm not somebody who sellers a lot of beer or thinks that most of any beer types, producers, etc., uh, are ones that, that keep hold or improve with time. That one, I think, does and uh, kind of gave us the genesis for this idea. Uh, looking for something that's slightly different. We don't dry hop it. Uh, so it varies in that that nature, but uh, looking for something incredibly simple that could be complex in execution. Mm-hmm. We dumped a lot of barrels uh, leading up to this, trying to get the the right acid balance, the right complexity, and I think we finally got something, or I I know we finally got something that I'm at least very proud of, and I, I think the rest of our team is as well. Yeah, super good, definitely pretty different from the broken truck. What is what's the impetus for the fresh hop going into the kettle for this beer looking to add another layer of complexity mm-hmm. um, shortly after packaging you still even at two years old get some hop character from it uh, i wouldn't say it's citrusy or or, or cascadian or willamity um, but it does carry over and then you see a further metamorphosis in the bottle itself uh, so we actually packaged this and, and named it to celebrate the anniversary of the opening of our new brewery and tap room, uh, hence the Ivy name, the street we're on. Hmm. We were that proud of finally getting the <laughs> damn thing right. Yeah. Uh, after it felt like just bludgeoning the idea over the head and about ready to give it up. Yeah. Well, everything you do takes time. So, yeah. But it's all quality at the end of it. 
I think that's the the moral of the story. Not to be super literal, but is there like old growth ivy on the sides of buildings on that street or something? So you've obviously never been to Tillamook either. <laughs> Unfortunately, not yet. Hey, it's on my list. At, at some point in the past, maybe there was. I don't think there's a lot of ivy in Tillamook, period. We have a little bit in our house that we hate and are trying to tear out. Oh, yeah. yeah. The PVU too? Man, ivy, I, it's, it's really great until it overgrows everything. It has taken over my entire backyard. <clears throat> yeah, it'll do that. Maybe towards the end of the show, we can get uh, an Ivy fun fact from Bevo. With oh, the more, more information? You, the more information. Yeah. yeah I'm going to try to figure out how to kill it forever. Fire. With fire. Find, yeah. Find the best way, other than a flamethrower, so to eradicate yes? Ivy. Is that a yes that we can get a fun yeah. fact? Or? I got you. Okay. It's an Ivy factoid. More information. Now, I, I don't want to forget Dexter's question from before the break. Oh, how dare you? I mean, it's <laughs> obviously about oxygen and pedia. Yes, exactly. Good, good memory. <laughs> Dr. Lambic brings you this question. Dexter asks about oxygen and pedia. Uh, I know Jay said he would never introduce oxygen to pedia at any point, but what about for starters? Do you introduce oxygen for starters from pure cultures, like Y-E's, White Labs, Pax? What about when building up dregs? He says he's been hearing conflicting info on this topic at every turn. Hmm. That's a good question. I saw you look at me, and I have no good contribution here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think obviously I do a little more um, culture management, not being a fully spontaneous brewery. Never oxygen with PDO. I, if I said that, you know, I think part of a mixed culture, it makes sense because you, you want to encourage the yeast. We don't do a lot of prop of mixed cultures because every barrel, every beer we have is a mixed culture inoculant. Now, if you're a home brewer, I probably still wouldn't add that much oxygen to anything with PD or even lacto in it. I would just make beer, save that beer, use that as the inoculation for, for further projects. If you're doing bottle dregs, would I oxygenate that? Hmm. Well, I might chime in there. Sure. If you're doing a legitimate mixed culture, I would be really hesitant to expose any propagation to oxygen just strictly because of the fact that you don't know if there is a Cetobacter in there. Mm -hmm. um, and if so, like how much, basically you're going to encourage that. And I don't think that's ever a good thing. Right. If it's a straight pediococcus you can probably speak better to whether that's a negative or not. Yeah, with that, I think that's a negative there. So what what I would do, if you have a culture you like, I would keep it separate and it kind of re encourage yeast on a separate plane almost. So let's say you have a mixed culture of dregs, you keep adding to it, put wort in there and yeast nutrient and don't oxygenate, um, just decant and put more wort in there to keep it strong. And then once you're ready to use it, it needs – for me, I don't think it can ferment on its own. There's other brewers who have been on the show who use strictly mixed culture primaries. Uh, we don't do a lot of that at the Rare Barrel. We do uh, Saccharomyces primary and then blend in barrel-aged sour beer kind of at a different point or use unrinsed barrels or something like that. So I would make sure that you have strong yeast because you just can't have – sluggish yeast in a sour beer fermentation just inviting off flavors so that's pretty much all of our ferments i'm sorry well i think spontaneous is a different category yeah. um do you guys mind if i actually send a text message to a friend asking about this sure maybe we can get a somebody who i know has a pdo heavy culture let's do uh, yeah go ahead yeah uh, we'll i don't wait. know if we'll get a response or not yeah we'll just we'll wait we'll wait well i mean you guys can keep talking no 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 no, no we'll wait i'll just drink this beer yeah, just go ahead and wait for me all right 
Seriously, I'm just going to type for like 10 seconds. That's like, cool. I'm, we'll cut it out later. I just wanted some more beer. <laughs> it was worth the head shake from Pete. That's kind of like a all-over-the-place answer, but yeah, essentially I stand by it, but you just need, at the end of the day, whatever beer you're going to make, you need healthy yeast in there to ferment it out and mm-hmm. prevent off flavors. So, And then we'll get another answer later from Trevor's mystery person. There you go. Back to Charlie, you want to do another one in the meantime? A sure. beer. Oh, uh, no, I was oh, thinking one more, one more question, yeah. Question. Can I shout out someone in between? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Neshamney Creek Brewing, or as when I give this paper to anyone else, three times <laughs> Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewer of the Year, two-time JBF Vienna Style Lager Medal winner, two times, i got to update my brain, bronze <laughs> for smoke lager, renovated tasting room with a variety of beer styles from hoppy double IPAs to sessionable and poundable lagers. I think when we get updated things, maybe we'll take out poundable. Maybe uh, the list goes with effable. <laughs> <laughs> to oak fermented saisons, oak effed saisons and sour beers, free brewery tours. That oak really effed that saison good. <laughs> New second location opening like a million years ago. Check them out. <laughs> com. All right. Here's a good question for this for you, Jay. Uh, while, oh. while Trevor's uh, no, I'm, done. I'm, I'm here. Oh, oh we're good? Finished. Right here, right now. Oh, let's do it. Oh, yeah. Let's finish up with that. We can shirt. still do that question, though. Yeah, I, I'll do that quickly. Oh, well, I don't know if you heard back yet. Oh, oh. No, like we can move on with the things if I hear yeah, back. Oh, oh gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Sending the text. Perfect, perfect. Okay, yeah. well, this Let's is for this. This yeah. is a, a question about Small Axe, the Rare Barrel Beer Small Axe, mm-hmm. from Rob Newhouse, who had written, and he just had it, he said, just finished it. It was amazingly delicious, only 3.5% ABV. What? He says, how do you do it? Uh, do you do something special to make such a low-gravity beer so tasty? Yeah, we do a different uh, grist profile. So our regular gold recipe has... Uh, Two-row pale barley, aromatic malt, malted wheat, uh, rolled oats, and malted spelt. And this we took out the aromatic malt and lowered the amount of pale barley to get to a lower gravity. Actually, I had to age it for a long time. I think, I don't know what your experience is, Trevor, with kind of lower starting gravities, but I feel like, I don't know, this especially must be interesting with spontaneous fermentation, to me, there's always off flavors. It's just never like a full... I think beer wants to be 5%, and to make it less than that, <laughs> at least 5%. 5 to 7%, it's like beer is happy. Yeah, if you try to get it below or above that range, it starts acting up on you. got to be careful. And I think most brewers are better at going above than below. So you can get all these off flavors or mouthfeel issues from lower uh, gravity beers, and we, we essentially just kept our same amount of um, non-barley grain in there uh, with a few other modifications, kind of just lowering the gravity. But, yeah, it did have to age for a long time. I kind of remember that batch having sulfur in the barrels for 10 months or so, and then we released it at, like, 16 months. They're aged in Chardonnay barrels, and that was a delicious, delicious beer. The sulfur dropped out mm-hmm. after just time is what yeah. did it? Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you still have some of that? Sure, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Good. We actually have two new versions that are out, Double Dry Hop Small Axe and also Citra Dry Hop Small Axe, which will go on tap starting tomorrow at the Rare Barrel Tasting Room and Kitchen. There you go. So we'll get to try it. I agree with you. I think uh, lighter gravity beers are some of the hardest to pull off. In the same way for non-wild brewers, I think something that's uh, very transparent, like a lot of lager styles, 
there's not much to hide behind. Like mm-hmm. you're really coaxing depth of flavor out of very simple ingredients in the case of an acidic beer or a mixed culture fermentation or spontaneous fermentation. If you don't have the heft, uh, you don't have a lot of you know malted barley backbone, a lot of hops or fruit or something along that line, there's nothing to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Like your flaws yeah. are going to be apparent. And so, yeah, sometimes you have to wait what in theory should be a quicker fermentation. Right. You, know, you have to wait it out longer than anticipated. Yeah, even though, you know, so like I don't think our regular beers have a big sulfur issue. These ones do. So it's it's not just about – I agree that there's the nothing to hide behind thing, but you can have a good process going into it. Or, you know, if I'm applying this to the rare barrel, what, what I think is a good process that we have – and still struggle through these problems. You so just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, you you think you legitimately have a greater sulfur production in the diminished gravity beers, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Really yeah. cool. Not really cool. Not obviously. cool. At all. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's maybe like the sort of like bell curve of fermentation, whatever you want to call it, when it's you know the the cells multiply and they're doing their their highest convergence, they never hit their peak. And they're like, I don't know, maybe maybe we should like under pitch is it a, a low gravity beer. Is it a culture you pulled from prior ferments? Like they've been accustomed to more nutrient rich wort or like more sugar wort? It's not actually that big of a difference, probably going from a twelve Plato starting gravity beer to a nine, yeah. nine or ten. Yeah. So it's nothing too crazy. Your thought was that maybe because it like suddenly it's in this less nutrient rich environment and gets producing sulfur as a result. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the only thing I can think of would be that you're changing what it's used to effectively. Like you know, this is this is home here in a twelve Plato wort, and now we're in a nine. Maybe that's promoting the change. Like if, yeah. if that's the one variable. Well, usually it will, we'll try to do it in the early goings of. The culture, and if we use like a twelve plate of wort for generation one, it's fine. But maybe if we use this, it's not fine. So yeah. we usually don't go like twelve, twelve, twelve. Now we're doing our lower gravity malt bill. So I, I'm not sure. This is, but you know, speculation is good. Yeah, I, we're not saying there's any definitive answer, but legitimately just curious because I yeah. do love uh, diminished gravity um, acidic beers, and there's not enough of them out there for sure. No, no, so. so if you can figure it out, let us know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I would love to have more uh, Degard beers. You want to take a show break? Oh, yeah. You guys ready? Is that, is, is that time? Is I that guess. time? Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Thanks to our guest, uh, Trevor Rogers, for the first part of our two-part series. Thanks, Trevor. Phenomenal beers. My pleasure. Thanks to Scott. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Thanks to Bevo. Thanks, Bevo. Welcome. Thanks to all the great sponsors, all the great listeners of this show. You guys are doing great. Super proud of you. Very attractive and great people. Until next time, stay sour. You're a silver fox if you're a guy with gray hair. Is that a gender-specific term? Yes. Is there What's for a, a woman? Old bitch. <laughs>